welcome to Deeper, a podcast of the Wollongong Baptist Church. Our podcast follows the Sunday sermon and aims to help our congregations go deeper into God's Word. Welcome everyone to Deeper, our third episode in our Upside Down Kingdom series in Luke's Gospel. My name is Clayton Ryan, and I'm a member of the 9am service, and this week I'll be discussing Luke chapter 18, verses 1 to 8, with one of our pastors, Mark Robert. Hi Mark, how are you today? I'm really well, thanks Clayton, how are you? Yeah, I'm pretty good, thanks. That's good. Good. How's your week been so far? Busier than I was expecting, so <laughs> we've got a baby coming later this week, and so I kind of cleared my schedule, but uh, as fate would have it, uh, it's actually been good to have a clear schedule, because lots of things have come up, but uh, <laughs> that's, that's good. Excellent. Well, baby coming this week, you don't hear that very often. No. <laughs> <laughs> now, the church I worked for in Prague had the philosophy that if you've been doing something for two weeks, then it becomes a tradition. So our new deeper tradition, which we've done for two weeks now, is to find out from you, Mark, having spent all the time you did working on the text and preaching it three times last Sunday, how, what has God laid on your heart uh, so far since Sunday? Yeah, I think the, the enduring um, application for me from the passage that we looked at has been, uh, I, I've been noticing more and more how much my own prayers and my own concerns really are for myself and my immediate kind of um, connections mm. um, and l- less for uh, God's people further afield. Uh, so that's been quite eye-opening actually to start to kind of catalogue <laughs> uh, in a sense how selfish my prayers are mm. and uh, to feel the weight of responsibility towards uh, uplifting my brothers and sisters around the world and their mm. concerns uh, to, to God as well. And so there's definitely, I think, over the course of last week and since this week, more of my prayers that have been um, directed towards others than towards myself, which has been, mm. I think, a helpful corrective. Yeah, excellent. That's great. Now, I have to be honest, Mark, and confess that I came to church on Sunday morning thinking, I'm not really sure what more I can get from this passage that seems pretty straightforward. Yeah. And we studied it in Bible study. So I came thinking, I'm not sure what much more we're going to get out of this. But, you know, I've got to confess that there was so much more going on than I expected. Yeah, and I actually think that's a pretty common uh, experience, particularly if we do the work of reading, studying the passage ahead of time. You can think, and I often think this as a preacher when I'm coming to a text as well, think, I know what this passage (laughs) is about. (laughs) And then the more we spend time uh, digging deeper into God's word, the more we discover that there's actually endless riches here and and depths that we haven't even thought about before. And so, yeah, I felt the same way, strangely. (laughs) Yeah, so I firstly wanted to say thank you for all your hard work and for your clear preaching yeah, on no, Sunday. No worries. And also thank you for letting us know that how we need to approach you and how we need to say things if we really want something from you. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's my weak spot. Yep. You know how to manipulate me now. Yeah. I mean, I don't think I'll quite get the blinking of the eyes like Silas <laughs> does, but I can I can certainly work on the it, voice. It takes practice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now, for the benefit of everyone listening, including myself, 
Could you give us a two to three minute summary of your sermon from Sunday? Yeah, sure. Uh, so uh, the whole sermon uh, is uh, a- about trying to encourage people to pray and not give up. That's the point of the passage. Mm-hmm. That's the point of my sermon. And uh, we considered about how actually in the waiting for Jesus to return, that mm-hmm. giving up hope and losing faith is actually something that we're quite prone to do. Mm-hmm. Um and so what we see in this story as we look at these two little characters, the widow and the judge, Jesus sort of explains for us why uh, calling out for God's justice and waiting for uh, Jesus to come, uh, why that's something that we need to be doing uh, mm-hmm. in the example of the widow. And then we looked at the example of the judge and we saw how he actually shows us that our hope for justice only lies with our good God who can deliver mm. that justice for us. And so, yeah, the challenge was really actually to, to kind of see the world as God sees it and to recognise uh, that our world is in desperate need of God's justice mm. uh, and that there's there's really no hope to get that and to find that in any other avenue except if God, uh, when God returns in Christ and, mm. and sets the world to right. Yeah. Uh, and so, yeah, the challenge was just uh, keep praying persistently because that's the expression of that faith that we have that Jesus yeah. is returning. And that's ultimately what Jesus is going to expect to see and hope to see and be looking for when he returns. Mm. Great. Thank you. Now, the direction we want to take deeper um, the podcast this term is to push through the application of the passage. But I actually think it's worthwhile spending a moment reminding us how is the widow a picture for us and how the judge does and doesn't depict God the Father. Yeah, sure. Um, I'll, I'll try and be brief about this because hopefully um, uh, this was uh, clearer-ish in the sermon. Mm. Um, Jesus makes the comparison in verse 7 for us that uh, at, just as we've seen this example of the widow uh, crying out for justice, he then says, how much more will uh, God bring about justice for his chosen ones? Mm. Chosen ones is that uh, term, the elect. It's referring to yeah. the saints. It's us as Christians who yeah. God has set his affection on and called out of darkness. Uh, and so uh, Jesus is very explicit there that the example of the widow ought to be the example of the church. Mm-hmm. Um, and we, we kicked that around a little bit and thought about, well, if if some days I certainly don't feel like that widow, that, yeah. some, that person who's calling out for justice. Yeah. But we, I tried to sort of zoom out and show that actually the concerns of God's church, his saints, ought always to be for his righteousness and his justice to reign on earth. That's the yeah. that's the, the Lord's prayer, really. Your kingdom come. Yeah. Your will be done. That's the call for God's justice to arrive. Yeah. And globally and historically, that has been uh, the prayer of the church. Yeah. And uh, it ought to be our prayer, even though we don't particularly feel like we're being done, in, uh, we're suffering injustice. Yeah. Um, nevertheless, we have a role to play in calling for the justice of God uh, on behalf of the whole world. Um, so that's the sense in which we are the widow. Mm. Uh, the sense in which God is like and unlike the judge, uh, it's quite an interesting kind of comparison because there are some characteristics which you would say, yeah, God shares that with the judge, but uh, Jesus' clear point is that God is uh, the polar opposite in in some respects to the judge. So the similarities are that you might say that this judge is is somewhat objective in that uh, he he has his moral code that or his, his yes. ethics that he's going to be abide by and he's not going to be swayed to do something kind of against his nature necessarily mm. and so perhaps you'd say that's a, a similarity with God he certainly has the power to bring justice that's another similarity mm-hmm. but the the difference are that this judge is 
uh, not loving and not compassionate. Yeah. And he, he knows it. Whereas our God is uh, a God who, who deeply cares for his little mm. ones. And we've seen that already in this series in, yeah. in, in Luke 17 to 19, and indeed all throughout the Bible. Mm. Uh, and he is a God uh, who wants to, to do right by his people. How much more will a God like that, who's loving, compassionate, and just, yeah. uh, do what is right for his people compared to this unjust, unloving, uncompassionate judge? Yeah. Great. Thanks. That's really helpful. Now, in the very first verse, Jesus tells us his purpose um, of telling this parable. So rather than go so much into that, like how does knowing the purpose up front help us understand the parable? And perhaps how is this a key that we can use across other parts of the Bible um, when we see this happen? Yeah, it's. I will say it's somewhat of a rare thing for the author to really explicitly give you the intention behind a little um, episode or a, a collection of verses mm. um, ahead of time. It does happen occasionally. It's actually going to happen again this coming week when <laughs> Jesus tells the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. Yep. And he says to some who are confident of their own righteousness, yeah. he told this story. And so he's sort of explaining why, where this story is coming from. Uh, it is pretty rare, but it does happen. Um, the great value of that is that it uh, sort of allows us to sidestep um, the interpretation process in mm. a sense. Yeah. Normally when we're reading the Bible, we're trying to ask the question, what was the author trying to communicate here? We believe in authorial intent, that is, that mm -hmm. whoever was writing a particular part of Scripture had an intention for it. And whatever their intention was, we want to discern it and understand it so yeah. that we can understand how that then applies to us. Mm. Uh, we are not free to... Uh, make up a meaning for a particular passage of scripture. We want to understand what the author wanted it to mean, yeah. and then uh, apply that to our lives. Um, normally, that that's the process of exegesis. It's the process yeah. of uh, trying to understand why the author has said the things that they've said in the particular way they've said it, and and look for those kind of clues and and um, and take that out of the text. Uh, but when it does come up like this, it's wonderfully simple to just yeah. say, well. If I've understood this passage correctly, then I will understand this point. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it's it's uh, a helpful thing to remember. Anytime we're reading uh, a, a passage of the Bible, to ask the question, what is this here for? Yeah. Uh, why has the Holy Spirit in his wisdom left this portion of the Bible in here for us? What was yeah. the author trying to say? What was the Spirit trying to say through the author? Let's try and understand what it meant. Uh, to that original audience and by extension um, connect the dots through to our context and our experience and and uh, translate the author's meaning to us. Yeah, and hopefully it can help as a, as a tool to try and stop us overlaying our interpretation yeah. before we've even considered yes. actually what's the author's yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's right. Yeah, It's a very preliminary kind of a, a step that needs to be taken. Yeah. Um, uh, to prevent those kinds of yeah. free form, uh, I'll just make the text whatever I want it to mean kind yeah. of interpretations. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, how is the widow um, a good model for how we are to come to God in prayer? Yeah, um, I, I think there's a couple of ways in which uh, she's a, a good model. Um, I think, firstly, in her persistence, um, that's sort of the th the um, flavour of the the character there is that she's not going to take no for an answer. She's going mm. to keep battering down this guy's door until she yeah. gets what she wants. Yeah. And that persistent prayer is something that um, we are told uh, numerous times throughout the pages of Scripture uh, is to be a kind of a marker of God's people, to pray yeah. 
persistently, 1 Thessalonians 5, um, for example. Uh, now, I, th- I think this is maybe a little bit, it, it needs to be explained a little bit, uh, in that some people might feel that the example of the widow here suggests we've got to badger God to get what we want, that yeah. he's not going to give it to us, he's not going to answer our prayers mm. unless we really just get under his skin and, and finally he'll give in. And that's not mm. the point. Um, the There is something, though, that as a Christian, it's right for us to pray the same thing uh, to God over and yes. over and over and over again. Yeah. Um, it's not because we're trying to change God's mind and convince him to do something that he wasn't going to do unless we really badgered him to do it. Yeah. But that somehow in God's wisdom, he's ordained that uh, in the in the repetition, in the waiting for an answer, that he is at work doing something perhaps that mm. we can't see. And I suspect that part of what he's doing there when he calls us to pray for something which is going to be a long time being answered mm. is that he's actually at work in us. Um Mother Teresa has this quote uh, where she said, I used to believe that prayer changes things, but now I know that prayer changes us and we change things, (laughs) which is quite a cute little saying, but it's dead wrong. Um, (laughs) Prayer does change things. God absolutely has chosen to use our prayers as the means by which he will act in the world. Mm. Uh, Prayer does change things, unfortunately, for Mother Teresa. (laughs) But she's got something right there in that prayer does also change us. Um, And so I suspect that part of the example of the widow there encouraging us to pray persistently is there for our benefit as a way for God to teach us to be people who long for this mm. and who are committed to this. And so as we pray for it regularly, that's actually kind of doing work on our heart and transforming us to care more about the things that God cares about. So I think her persistence is is a good example for us. Mm. But obviously the um, the topic of what she prays for, that crying for justice, yeah. Yeah. Uh, is absolutely uh, the right thing for us to be praying for. I was reflecting a little bit, and I didn't uh, include this in my sermon, but I, I do think that the the main kinds of things that we ask God for, uh, that you might think uh, when uh, there's sickness or sorrow or suffering um, in the world and we're, we're praying for God to answer those things, to bring comfort, to step in uh, with his power and his love and to make things right. Those, yeah. those kind of prayers that are very easy for us to pray, very common for us to pray, where we want God to, to show up in a sense mm-hmm. and to bring resolution to something. I think all of those prayers at their core are actually prayers for justice, which might yeah. sound kind of peculiar. But if we understand that... Um, what Jesus is envisioning here are his people praying for his return, which mm-hmm. is the case, I believe, when you look back in chapter 17. Yeah. We're yeah. longing for the days of the Son of Man. We're suffering for standing for Jesus. Mm-hmm. And so chapter 18, continue to pray for justice, pray for his return. Um, then we we need to remember that actually the return of Jesus is, in its fullest sense, the coming of God's justice. And mm. so whilst mm. we might be, when we pray for, uh, you know, God to heal the sick or for God to comfort the suffering, yeah. we're hoping that God will answer that prayer here and now. But yeah. the fullest expression of his answer to that is actually going to be when Jesus returns. Yeah. Uh, and so I think even though we don't necessarily know it, yeah. I think a lot of the times when we're praying and we're asking for God to to do something to, to make life better, to bring fairness and justice and, and, and equity and peace and all those sorts of expressions, that really what we're praying for without knowing it is the return of Jesus. That's yeah. going to be the, the point at which that prayer is most answered. Yeah. Uh, and so I think that that's helpful for us to remember as well in the example of the widow 
that um, at the bottom of all of our prayers, um, our, our cries to God continually ought to be um, for this to be most fully uh, answered when, for Jesus to return. Yeah. yeah. And then we see that, don't we, in Revelation, is it the fifth seal when you hear the martyrs yeah. who are under the altar yeah. um, crying out to God, how long? Yes. Um, yeah. And then God answers, a little while longer. Yeah, yeah. that's right. Yeah. Just a reminder, just keep going. Yeah. There will be a time. Mm. Yeah. Now, Jesus is touching on something, and we've spoken already a bit about that this morning, in this parable on something. I think it really kind of triggers everybody, and I think particularly Christians, when we see what's going on around the world. That's mm. the idea of injustice. Mm. Do you think this is something that we as Christians care enough about? today you know enough to come persistently to god in prayer uh, it's hard to say um i think that there are uh branches if i can say of the christian tree uh, that mm-hmm. maybe care a lot about justice and care more than we do and mm-hmm. i dare i say perhaps even um care too much if mm-hmm. i could put it like that yeah um there are certainly um Historically, Christians have been a force for justice in the world, and that's been a good thing. There's, um, there has been a development uh, in primarily in the 20th century uh, where the the hope of justice here and now in this world mm. has been something that has has actually obscured and preempted um, our justice when Christ returns and for the the complete coming of the kingdom of God. Mm. And so the working for justice here and now, which is certainly something that Christians are obligated to do morally, uh, to do good in the world for others, Mm. um, that that has taken precedence over um, the working for the kingdom of God in its its full and final spiritual sense. Mm. And I think that's a mistake. Um, So it's tricky to say, do we care too much about it? Well, some people probably do, um, but I actually think our problem in you know our uh, evangelical, reformed, highly biblicized um, yeah. kind of corner of Christianity is that we probably care too little about it, yeah. and uh, that recognition of the injustices in the world hmm. is something that doesn't get enough of our attention. Yeah, uh, and I you know I, I speculated as to why that might be the case in in the sermon. Hmm. Um, with our distraction and with our apathy and those yeah. sort of things. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, it's certainly clear that uh, we ought to care enough about what's going on in the world, yeah. uh, the injustices we see, the defaming of God's name, yeah. the suffering of his people, mm. those things which God says he's going to return and set to right. Yeah, um, yeah we, we ought to care more about those things than we do. Um, and so, I, like, I, I really do think that... Uh, if we're going to be the kind of church, the chosen ones who are doing this, then we just have to be more informed than we are about it. Yeah. And I'm, I'm, when I say we, I mean Wollongong Baptist Church. I mean Western evangelical Christians. Yeah. We just have to be. Um, we have to do a better, better job at being abreast of um, what our brothers and sisters in Christ are going through around the world. Yeah. And that's a really uh, overwhelming thing. I spent time uh, this past week um, trying to read up and trying to mm. trying to um, open my eyes a little bit more yeah. to what's going on around the world. Spent time on the Open Doors website, which is a very helpful resource for mm. uh, hearing stories about what Christian brothers and sisters are 
are going through, but it is really overwhelming yeah. because of the yeah. sheer volume of um, mm. of, of the, the suffering and the injustices that are happening to our brothers and sisters. Yeah. Uh, and it can just feel much easier to stick your head in the sand and ignore it all. Yeah. And so I think the challenge is we, we've got to find a way to be uh, informed but not overwhelmed. Yes. We've got to be able to take in enough of a picture of the true state of the world without it crippling us under the weight of, uh, you know, feeling yeah. unable to do much about it. Um, but, I, yeah, I really feel like we have to we have to feel that weight of the, the moral obligation that we have yeah. to stand with our brothers and sisters who are suffering. You know, one of the, um, the frequent um, commands towards, um, uh, regarding rather, the, the persecuted church, the Christians who are suffering for the name of Jesus, is for those who are not suffering to remember them and to stand with them. And so Hebrews 13.3, for example, continue mm-hmm. to remember those in prison as if you were together with them in prison yeah. and those who are mistreated as if you yourselves were suffering. There's yeah. to be this kind of identification with others mm. who are going through suffering and persecution for the name of Jesus, even if you are not. And I think that's dropped off the radar largely yeah. for, for um, you know, Christians of our kind of brand, if you want to call it that. Yeah, I think I think that's maybe what you were um, alluding to. There's uh, one sentence from your sermon that really stuck out to me was, we need to see the world as God sees it and grieve. Mm. And is this what you're talking about with this? Yeah, it is. Yeah. Um, I mean, there there is a way of just seeing the world as God sees it and um, not grieving, not caring about it, mm. and uh, that's obviously wrong. Um, there's a way of grieving over something which is fictional and untrue, and that's obviously wrong. We want to actually see the state of reality and grieve the way that, that God grieves. And I guess by that, what I'm uh, saying is that um, as God looks at the injustice in the world, he is deeply troubled by this. And you, mm. you get these little insights in the pages of Scripture as to God's if you want to call it his emotional response uh, to um, injustice and unrighteousness in the world. And we've got to work hard to align our hearts with him there. So there's um, one of my my favorite verses is in Matthew 9, um, as Jesus is, is looking out at the crowds, and uh, it says that he has compassion on them because they are harassed and helpless like sheep mm. without a shepherd. Yeah. And so that kind of attitude that Jesus has towards his people who are being taken advantage of and misled Mm. is a compassionate kind of response because they're at risk, they're vulnerable. Uh, And I want to share that with Jesus. I want to work Mm. hard to to grieve and feel the same way that Jesus did. It's kind of like um, the Apostle Paul when he goes to Athens in Acts chapter 17 and he looks around he sees um, them worshipping all these gods and it says that he's distressed because of the idolatry that he sees there. Yeah. And I don't feel distressed enough about the idolatry of my mm. nation and my neighbours that and my family. And, you know, as I see people dishonouring the name of God mm. uh, and trampling on his son, um, what I ought to feel is distress about that because that's what God feels. Yeah. And uh, that ought to lead me to, to pray if, if I, I see that kind of injustice and unrighteousness in the world then, yeah, I ought to respond like this widow and cry out, God, please come, fix, make this right, send yeah. your son. Yeah. And the first part of the Lord's Prayer is, Father in heaven, hallowed be That's right. your name. And yeah. At that very first marker, we're seeing the world is not doing this. That's right. That's right. Yeah. So as the parable suggests, we're to be persistent in prayer, 
um, not losing heart or not losing hope. So how important is it that as we pray that we have a right view of who God the Father is? Yeah, I think it's really important. Um, as I said in the sermon, if, if uh, we care deeply about injustice but our view of God is that he can't do anything or won't do anything to fix it, then it's going to hinder our prayers. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's interesting, I think, that uh, quite frequently in the New Testament the and, and the Old Testament that the instructions and the calls to pray are often paired with um, uh, words about the character and nature of God. Uh, mm-hmm. And so the Lord's Prayer is a good example yeah. uh, that as Jesus teaches that in Matthew chapter 6, uh, that uh, he says um, before he start, actually explains how to, how to um, pray, Matthew chapter 6, verse 6, uh, when you pray, go into your room, close the door, pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward mm. you. So he's saying, as he's about to teach his his disciples how to pray, he's saying to them, remember that God hears your prayers, mm. verse 6. And then verse 8, uh, do not be like the hypocrites, he tells them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. So he's mm-hmm. a caring Father. Yep. He knows your needs. And so in light of those things, then he goes on, verse 9, this then is how you should pray. Uh, Philippians chapter 4 is another good example. Paul says, the Lord is near, mm-hmm. and therefore do not be anxious about anything, yeah. but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. So the nearness of God, his imminence, his His knowledge of what is happening in the world and his willingness to do something about it is what then leads us to pray. Mm-hmm. So I think we we have to work really hard as well to remember uh, the nature of God. Otherwise, our prayers are... We're not going to be motivated to pray. Mm. I think that's the, the bottom line. Mm. Yeah. And he's not some you know, omnipotent despot. No. <laughs> like he's someone we can call Abba Father. Yes, absolutely. Um, who wants us to come to him. Mm. So what would you like to see us doing more as a church? Well, uh, I think that there is always room for our church to grow uh, for any church to grow mm-hmm. uh, in its prayerfulness. I think yeah. um, this is going to be a, a battle for us this side of heaven. Mm-hmm. I, I would love to see our church be one that uh, gathers more regularly for prayer and for nothing else, no other reason, mm-hmm. just prayer, uh, having more regular prayer meetings. Mm-hmm. Um, we uh, last night had our church members meeting where we heard updates from some of the international uh, non-English speaking congregations at WBC. Mm-hmm. And in particular, it was so... Uh, helpful and eye-opening and and challenging, honestly, to hear mm. updates from, particularly from the Burmese and the Kareni uh, congregations about uh, what um, some of their family and friends are going through back in Myanmar at the moment in, yeah. in the light of the recent coup. Yeah. And uh, the, both those congregations, or in fact, all of our non-English-speaking congregations, are, I think their prayerfulness puts uh, the English-speaking congregations to shame yes. quite yeah. often. Yeah. They are so faithful and so committed to meeting regularly uh, for prayer. And uh, I think we ought to learn from them in that yes. respect. I think yeah. that, um, yeah, that there's room for us to be a people who demonstrate our faith in that uh, we know that the, the most effective thing we can do to bring justice on this mm-hmm. world is to get on our knees. And um, I think it's a really powerful testimony to yes. the world uh, yeah. when God's people um, yeah, do not wage war with, uh, you know, with weapons or yeah. uh, words, but with prayers. Uh, and so, yeah, I think uh, somehow, some way, I'd like to like us to work mm. on that. Yeah, I've got yeah. some ideas brewing. Excellent. Good. Yeah, often when I have friends, when they you see Christians respond with, I'll pray, and 
some of my non-Christian friends are just like, yeah, whatever. Mm. And it's just like, well, there's nothing I can do personally mm. for this person in this place. Said, but I can pray. Mm. And for me, that's the most effective thing I can do. Absolutely. Especially when I can't physically, um, financially, any other way, do anything to yeah. help. Yeah, that's right. These people. Mm. Now, I thought we could finish our time today, not with a final question, but perhaps to promote a, <clears throat> excuse me, a new initiative following on from your sermon, Mark. And we spoke about this idea of 50 days of prayer. Mm. And you know why 50 days? Well, Open Doors, that you mentioned before, produces a list every year of the 50 countries where Christians face the most extreme persecution. And we're thinking... So the idea if we'd pray through this list of countries, one country per day, and at the start of each week we'll send out links of each country so you can become more informed, as Mark was saying before, and so that we can pray more specifically for that country. Now, Mark, perhaps can you finish by sharing how this initiative fits in with what you were preaching on Sunday? Yeah, well, uh, it's at the very least, uh, by praying f- uh, about these situations uh, that, that our Christian brothers and sisters are going through in, in the 50 most persecuted countries, uh, we are calling on God to bring justice there, and we know that God works through those prayers. And so as we, we bring those before our Father, yeah. uh, we are uh, asking him to, to return, and, and mm. I think that's something we need to continue to hold hope for, that our prayers will be effective in that way. Yeah. Uh, as I've also said, by, by deliberately forcing ourselves to confront these 50 worst situations for Christians mm. around the world, we are informing ourselves and aligning our heart with uh, with God's heart for these places and these mm. these people as well. So I'm really excited about this. We're going to start it, uh, I believe, next week. Yeah. And so there'll be some notifications going out online. We'll probably mention it in our services this week. And we'd love uh, for as many people here listening mm-hmm. uh, to jump on board with this initiative and spend the next uh, seven weeks praying yeah. through uh, these uh, 50 most persecuted countries. It's exciting to think that of the privilege of praying with these brothers and sisters. Yes. Um, and I think it's important that we remember that uh, as we do this, we're not um, we're not praying so much for them as we are praying with them. with them. Our brothers and sisters who are in these persecuted contexts are praying prayers, asking for them to stand firm under under the mm-hmm. persecution they're going through, for them to be faithful for Christ to. Uh, open um, people's eyes in their mm. countries. We want to join with them in that, not pray that God would necessarily resolve and ease that persecution, but that he'd be glorified through it yeah. and that uh, ultimately his justice, his kingdom would come. And so how exciting that we get to do that. Yeah, wonderful. Mm. Thank you, Mark, for your time today. It's been great digging a little deeper into Luke 18. And I'm excited uh, that we'll be praying as a church with the persecuted church. And thank you everyone for listening and I look forward to being with you all again next week. This has been a podcast of the Wollongong Baptist Church. You can listen to past sermons and deeper podcasts and also find information about our Sunday services on our website at wollongongbaptist.org. 